evening. Welcome to If Cage Walls Could Talk, your weekly heart-to-heart on all things animals. My name is Jody Whitaker, and I am the founder and executive director of the Chicago Alliance for Animals, the Partnership to Ban Horse Carriages Worldwide, and the Center for Ethical Science. This show was created and brought to you by my all-grassroots organizations working to free animals from suffering and pain. Uh, so I want to quickly uh, talk about uh, what has what we've done in the last two weeks since the start of the year. Um, I'm very proud of the progress we've made in, in a matter of less than two weeks. So uh, we uh, received uh, at least seven media hits uh, regarding our Dallas campaign to ban horse carriages. Uh, we had... Um, news articles, as well as at least one television uh, station story on ABC, the ABC of Affiliate in Dallas, and uh, at least one letter to the editor published uh, that we helped draft uh, for, uh, well, we worked with so uh, we could get published by a Dallas resident, uh, and uh, then we uh, their city council meeting was last week, last Wednesday, I believe, and we had uh, at least six people testify before Dallas City Council, and so that uh, this this campaign is heating up, and uh, uh, we really need people to help us uh, with win this campaign, and urge Dallas's officials, Dallas's city council members, and mayor to do the right thing by the horses uh, and by the public to. Uh, prevent a very dangerous, if not deadly, accident on Dallas's streets. So we definitely need phone calls to Dallas's uh, city council. The number is 214-670-4050. That is 214-670-4050. If you can make a quick call, it should take you a minute or less to simply say that you support the Humane Campaign to ban horse carriages in Dallas, Texas. Uh, We also need endorsements from businesses any kind of business, uh, it could be a veterinarian, a an animal shelter, an animal rescue, a restaurant, a coffee shop, an uh, uh, animal sanctuary. Uh, if you can endorse this campaign, please reach out to me through Facebook uh, or through ChicagoAllianceForAnimals.org and let us know. We just need to, you, you know, a verbal or written confirmation. We can put your logo on to add to our many endorsements of a humane campaign to ban horse-drawn carriages in Dallas. Uh, We also uh, testified and submitted public comments before Lincoln Woods officials uh, last last Monday evening. And uh, we hope that this is the year that we will get Lincoln Wood to actually enforce the humane laws on their books to ban the sale of animals and... uh, Hopefully that will allow uh, spur the African spurred tortoise to get to sanctuary. We have a sanctuary in Arizona for her. So if you can help with that campaign, uh, please call Lincoln Woods uh, Village uh, Hall, which is 847-745-4717. That's 847-745-4717. And simply urge them to enforce their humane laws that are uh, the Cook County law that prohibits the sale of rabbits and the their own Lincolnwood Village law that prohibits the sale of wild animals. And we also need people to join us this year and submit public comments before the board. Uh, you could get up and simply one, say one sentence, such as you support this humane campaign to ban the sale of animals and you want to see Spur get to sanctuary. So again, if you can help with that, reach out to me through Facebook or through our website, ChicagoAllianceForAnimals.org. And before I introduce my guests, I just want to quickly thank my friends and former bosses, Christine Dorchak and Carrie Teal of Great 2K USA Worldwide, who are helping support this, this important radio show. They work daily to end the cruelty of dog racing across the globe. Uh, learn more about how a small group of people can make a big difference for animals at Great2KUSA.org. Uh, and before we uh, bring them on, I'll read their bios. Danielle Castillo, it could be Castillo, I've got to ask her. She's a Mexican veterinarian born and raised in Oaxaca, Mexico, who is deeply passionate about animal rights, wildlife conservation, and environmentalism. Her childhood dream was always to lend a helping hand to animals. At the age of 15, she became a pesco vegetarian, informing her parents that she is no she no longer wished to consume her future patients. 
Dr. Castillo envisions a a world where all animals are free from pain, slavery, and unnecessary suffering. She works tirelessly to create a future where veterinarians are at the forefront of defending these fundamental fundamental rights for animals. She is the founder of Castillo Vegan Vet and Surgery, a safe fortress for all animals. Currently, she dedicates her efforts to performing high-quality, high-volume spay and neuter surgeries and practicing shelter medicine for several nonprofit organizations. In addition, she has gained valuable experience working with sanctuary farm animals through her involvement with a couple of farm animal sanctuaries in the San Fernando Valley. And Dr. Crystal Heath is a shelter veterinarian and was recently named one of Vox's 2023 Future Perfect 50, which honors the scientists, thinkers, scholars, writers, and activists working on solutions to today's and tomorrow's biggest problems. She is the executive director of Our Honor, a nonprofit that supports veterinary students, veterinarians, and other animal professionals in speaking their conscience to create a more ethical systems that consider the best interests of all species. She is also on the board of LEAP, Leaders for Ethics, Animals, and the Planet, known as the Humane Alternative to 4-H and FFA, Future Farmers of America, which aims to transform today's youth into the humane leaders of tomorrow who advocate for and work towards an equitable future for all living beings and the planet. Dr. Heath is also on the founding committee of of veterinarians against ven- ventilation shutdown. So I'd like to welcome Daniela and Crystal. Hi there. Hello. Are you both? Thanks for having us. Oh, thank you both so much for coming on. I know Crystal, you're at a veterinary conference right now, right? Yeah, I'm at uh, VMX in Orlando, Florida, right now. Wow. So what does VMX stand up stand for? It is this. I actually don't know what it stands for. Um, that's a good question. But it's just this huge veterinary conference, and everybody's here. And I'm very excited. There's a new veterinary organization forming that maybe I'll talk more about later, but it's the Veterinary Association for Farm Animal Welfare. Um, and they will be the, the only veterinary organization in the United States devoted solely to uh, improving farmed animal welfare. So that's pretty exciting, and I'm excited to learn more about that organization, too. That is wonderful. That's great to hear. That, And this is a new organization? Mm-hmm. Yeah, brand-new organization. You can go um, check them out at uh, org. VAFA is um, what they go by. Okay, well, great. Uh, that's progress. Sounds like more progress, progress yeah. happening. Uh, so both of you are the co-founders of the organization Our Honor. Can you please tell us about Our Honor and its mission? Uh, Daniela, why don't you start off? Um, so we started this organization mainly to support other veterinarians, like Crystal said. Uh, veterinary students and um, Crystal has been like the most active person on this organization um, so she can tell us more in, in in a little bit in a few minutes of like what ventilation shutdown is and what we're trying to do and um, what is happening with the outbreak of influenza um, avian influenza mm-hmm. and we I mean we hold uh, meetings with veterinary students. Uh, I was actually hosting an interview to other vegan veterinarians because we also want to create community among, um, you know, people alike. Um, for a, a few years, I felt like I was alone in this world, but I've met a lot of vegan veterinarians in the last couple of years. That's great. Uh, yeah, Crystal, would you like to tell us a little bit more about our honor? Yeah, it's really concerning how veterinarians, veterinary students, and animal professionals, when they see concerns in their veterinary practice or even in their vet school curriculum, um, and they're like, hey, well, I entered this profession to help animals. This is a problem, for instance, vet students having to kill animals in their education in order to learn surgery, when we know that there's more humane alternatives that are more effective at teaching students. When these students voice concerns about this, they face bullying, retaliation. They, um, instead of um, being allowed to advance 
the, the system and create a more ethical curriculum, they often suffer failing grades. They are smeared by faculty and their students. Um, and it's really disturbing. So we, we wanted to shine a light on this problem. Um, one of the things is, is the veterinary profession in the United States is lacks diversity and in, includes conclusion. And there's, it's like 93% white. And because of that, I think we've gotten very used to accepting a certain mindset that, you know, human beings are at the top and we can use animals and we can use even people with less power than us for our own benefit. And we really want to shine a a light on this problematic mentality and address it so that we can create a, a more ethical profession that works for the best interests of others, no matter their species. So, so we're really empowering those, those vet students, those veterinarians who are working towards creating more ethical systems and exposing the, the bullying and retaliation they face when they try to do that. Right. Uh, I, actually started out in animal rights working for uh, national the National Anti-Vivisection Society. And uh, I would get calls. Uh, my, my job was running the, we had a dissection hotline and a dissection alternatives loan program. So I, I would counsel and guide students uh, from, you know, grade school actually up on to veterinary school and medical school who didn't want to participate in... Uh, in things that, in, whether it was dissection or vivisection or terminal labs, which is something I'd like to get into. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I remember talking to students who, like you said, they most people go into veterinary a veterinary career because they care about animals and they want to help them, and then they get there. And I believe this is something a lot of people are not familiar with, is that in order to become a veterinarian, or at least back in the day, uh, I hope you'll you'll tell me that it's changing. Uh, you had to do some some things in veterinary school that is the exact opposite of healing and, and helping animals. So I want to quickly read uh, part of the veterinarian's oath. Being admitted to the profession of veterinary medicine, I solemnly swear to use my scientific knowledge and skills for the benefit of society through the protection of animal health and welfare and the prevention and relief of animal suffering. So based on that, the oath is is stating right there that you are, you're solemnly swearing to prevent and relieve animal suffering. So tell us, uh, whoever, I don't know which one wants to start. What are some of these forms of torture, uh, uh, that many veterinarians and the and the industry maybe as a whole accepts well not as a whole as you two are showing but accept as business as usual. Um, yeah, I would I mean, say like oh, normal practicing of farm animals. <laughs> oh, sorry, are you know mutilating like cutting their uh, pig's tails, castrating them, uh, punching their their. Um, Basically, uh, piercing their their ears with no pain medication at all, no local, uh, you know, they dehorn um, and neuter also ears with no uh, pain medications. And there's so many other examples, but I was going to say I went to vet school in Mexico and our oath is very similar, mm-hmm. but I think... Um, Mexico has always been 10 to 20 years behind, like, socially and technologically. And I'm happy that Crystal is going to be an example of person that didn't have to do anything horrible in vet school. But I did, I did do a lot of horrible things in vet school, and um, I wouldn't do it again, and I don't recommend it. Uh-huh. And so, and just some of the, the things that are accepted by many veterinarians in uh, in big agriculture, uh, gestation crates uh, where pigs right. are, you know, stuck in these crates where they can't even turn around. Uh, and often, and many times they can uh, smother their, uh, their babies yes. because they, they can't control it. Uh, battery cages that chickens are in, castration without 
any anesthesia, debarking, declawing, tail docking, ear cropping, and and that's just a that's just a few yeah. of the many uh, many basically forms of torture that veterinarians accept uh, in our food industry and, and not just food industry but companion animals and so forth. So I. Uh, Kind of backtracking here, but why did you both want to become veterinarians? Crystal, why don't you start? I always loved animals from when I was a kid, and I actually grew up on a small farm. I was in 4-H. We raised goats and chickens, and I rode horses. And, of course, now I don't ride horses anymore. Um, But I used to be an avid equestrian, and I was vice president of my 4-H club, which if you you know what 4-H is, it's a, a... public kind of program that was used to train future children um, to become agricultural producers and um, bring technology um, to their their local communities. And 4-Hers have to raise an animal for market um, and sell them to slaughter. I, I didn't do that. I participated in the GOAT program. And then when I learned that if I bred my goats and they had a boy, I would have to send the boy to slaughter. I was not about doing that. Um, so I just kept my goats as companions after that. But I still did the horse project and um, I still showed my dogs at the fair and things like that. Um, but yeah, I always loved animals. And then I discovered, you know, there's a kinder way and I discovered uh, veganism. I, you know, I wasn't, didn't become strict vegan until maybe like five years ago, but, um, I was vegetarian, um, ever since I graduated high school. Um, and I, I wanted to become a vet for the knowledge and to help animals. And, um, I went to UC Davis, um, which got rid of its program where students would get dogs from the shelter and then, um, practice multiple surgeries on them and then kill them afterwards. Thank God they transitioned to a more ethical system, but they do still kill um, bull calves and pigs um, in their program. That's an elective course. So students practice these surgeries on, on these bull calves and these pigs and then kill them afterwards which is outrageous when you consider everything that the veterinary profession stands for. And even if you're an, a research veterinarian, the, the idea of the three R's, refine, reduce, um, and replace animals and experimentation. And we know there's better, more humane methods that don't require students to kill animals. Um, and it's, it's shocking that Many schools across the country still have not adopted those more humane alternatives that respect the dignity of our patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you brought that up, I thought about a book that I read in probably middle school about uh, that is very similar to the 4-H uh, philosophy where children are children raise animals they you know they're bred into the world and children raise them and then all of a sudden and they fall in love with them because children naturally love animals i mean show Mm -hmm. me a child who doesn't normally love animals until they're taught not to uh and then the child has to take this animal to the local fair to be bought and and then slaughtered uh do you know what book i'm thinking i'm trying to think of that book if you know, I, if, I mean, there's like Charlotte's Web, of course. Like, there's so many. The uh, day no pigs would die. Yes, there's so yes, many books that's sort it. of about this. Yeah, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. A day um, no pigs would die. I read that book and I was a mess. I was bawling. Yeah. And uh, if you ever read that book, um, we take calls here seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. I'd love your thoughts on that. Uh, but that's exactly what we're talking about is the 4-H uh, mindset is very, it's, I, I personally believe it's not just animal abuse and animal cruelty and suffering, but it's also child abuse because mm-hmm. you are, your child is falling in love with the animal and they care for them. And then they're supposed to just turn their heart off and allow, take them to somewhere where they know they're being butchered. So. Yeah. And it's, it, they've, 
done multiple studies on this sort of thing and on vet students and even medical students, um, human doctors used to practice on dogs. And there was this one study of this dog lab. And the disturbing thing is these students would go into this lab apprehensive, really concerned about the lab. But afterwards, they talked about what a great learning experience it was. So this is how you become normalized to violence against animals, because you either have to accept the cognitive dissonance that you're being led to do something that go, that betrays your conscience and you decide to betray your conscience, or you have to integrate this idea that it's a hard thing to do, but it's actually really important. So that's why I did it is because I, this is why I killed that dog because it was actually really important. And I think a lot of the 4-H kids and FFA kids are normalized that they're also disempowered to trust their own intuition on these things. And what does that do when these, these students end up meeting somebody from an Eastern religion, like a Buddhist in the future who, who doesn't believe in harming animals? Do you think they're going to be very accepting of somebody of a different belief system? No, they're going to view those people as, you know, foolish because they don't want to then have to believe, oh my gosh, when I was younger, I had to do something that betrayed my conscience and I've been misleading myself all along. So, um, yeah, and when when I worked uh, at the anti-vivisection organization, I remember reading stories about how veterinary students would go into one of these labs like you're, like you're talking about, and they would be greeted by a shelter dog that would mm-hmm. they would take out of their cage. And the dog was so happy to be out of the cage and surrounded by people who were petting him. And then they would do uh, a break, uh, break a bone in the animal's body mm-hmm. to learn how to mm-hmm. uh, prepare, uh, repair... repair repair the bone and and then the dog would go back to the shelter back to the cage and then a week later the dog would come back to the lab and then another Mm -hmm. horrific uh uh part of the uh horrific uh, i don't know exactly what they did but basically these students would talk about how the dog each week would be less and less happy to be out there there because now the dog yeah. is used to being having a leg broken mm. or uh or you know some horrific scary or uh painful uh thing happened to him so it's these the idea of harming and, and harming animals to learn how to heal them is madness we don't do this to humans we don't learn how to fix a human's broken arm by taking another human and breaking their arm so that is what, uh, it, so can you tell me, is that, are these kind of ter- terminal labs, like I just described, still being done in veterinary schools? Well, from our research, we're finding that multiple terminal surgeries like that, um, where animals are repeatedly anesthetized and are repeatedly operated on, are not being done, but many schools still Take, it's viewed as more humane now to take an animal and do one or more surgeries on them while under one anesthesia and then um, not wake them up and so just kill them. So like that's somehow more humane because they don't experience any pain or suffering. They, they're just killed, um, which really devalues the, our patients' lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and and. Human doctors did used to do horrible things like that to other humans who lacked rights and protections in society. Like that was done. Yeah, and it sure. was disturbing that, you know, if we couldn't even protect our own species um, and still like even up to in the 20th century, we the polio vaccine was tested on orphans. Um, who have should have some rights and protections, but when we can't even protect our own species who have rights and protections, of course we're not going to protect another species who doesn't have any rights and protections in society. So it's yeah, I know I do know that some, in the past there were some horrific experiments uh, being done on humans who didn't have the say mm-hmm. or or know what was really happening. Uh, so it, it really is 
this takes a lot of effort to get the public to be made aware of these things in order to progress and, and stop a lot of the suffering. So I want to segue a bit to, uh, I want to read a quote from the New York Times uh, back in September. Uh, More than 100 million birds breed, breed in the region, and many are likely to be vulnerable. The uh, title avian flu might head to Antarctica next. Sorry about that. Over the past three years, a highly lethal form of avian influenza has whipped around the world, felling birds in Europe, Africa, and Asia before jumping across the ocean and setting off the worst bird flu outbreak in United States history. So what is avian influenza and how is it being controlled? Highly pathogenic avian influenza has now killed, what is it, up to 80 million um, birds now uh, across the United States. 80, oh, I have the current numbers. 81.4 million birds have been affected across the United States since 2022. And it's started in wild bird populations. Ducks can carry highly pathogenic avian influenza and they, they don't get sick and die from it. So they can be, they can shed it. Um, but when this virus then hits a poultry facility where you have, in some cases, millions of birds, five million birds in this case, um, they, all the birds get it and they die rapidly. Um, and so it is a, a huge welfare concern. So you do, in, in our current system, we need to kill these birds in mass in order to prevent the spread and hopefully to prevent prolonged suffering of these birds. But there's no humane way to kill that many birds rapidly. And so what they have resorted to doing in increasing frequency in recent years is Stealing up barns and pumping in heat and waiting for the birds inside to die after many hours. And it takes sometimes three and a half, sometimes eight hours for these birds to die. And this is by no means a, a kind way to kill these birds. The birds um, have this circulatory system in their head that cools their brain. So while their body's dying and they're suffering all the effects of heat stroke, organ failure, all of that, they're still conscious for a long period of time, um, sometimes all the way up until death. Um, so it, it's incredibly disturbing that this is happening and that this was legitimized by the American Veterinary Medical Association when other countries said, no, we are you, you can't kill birds this way, and they developed um, less cruel methods. I won't call them more humane because I don't think there's any humane way to kill someone who doesn't want to die, but um, there there are less cruel methods involving nitrogen where the birds pass out quite quickly and then die, you know, several minutes later. So, um, it, and this is continuing to go on across the country Um at a huge rate. And because of, of the way that we are farming and breeding these uh, birds into existence for human consumption, mm -hmm. the factory farming conditions are part of the reason yeah. that this has to be done, right? Yes. Yeah. And it's part of the reason it's spreading so rapidly. The, the facilities affected are these Massive facilities where you have tons of genetically similar animals in stressed mm. conditions. And then you have these, these, these small farms. I, one area where I live, um, these small farms next door with all of these birds that are just out in the open, they're not getting it. But the massive factory farm with a bunch of wild for concerns is getting it. And it's um, just another. And, oh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. And um, I was just going to say, and it's kind of posing a risk for the next human pandemic, too. I mean, there's this could potentially jump from humans and infect us if it were to mutate, which influenza viruses do like to do. That's what I was just about to say is the 
the conditions that we keep these animals in is uh, can jump. These viruses can jump from animal to human and cause another pandemic or epidemic. So, uh, and it's in having just the conditions, having these animals so close to each other and the stress that's put upon them because of their living conditions. Uh, it's, it's why these, uh, a, these bird flus and a, uh, avian viruses are becoming so, uh, so powerful. And, uh, and because, and, and then we have to do, well, we don't have to, but you've got groups like the Ver- American Veterinary Medical Association uh, putting the, their stamp of approval on this torturous method of what they may call euthanasia, but it's not really euthanasia, it's killing. Yeah, no, yes. Euthanasia is the humane um, ending of the life of one who is suffering. Suffering. And this is not that. Right. Uh, so... How? What kind of pushback have you gotten and uh, compassionate veterinarians who are against uh, this uh, massive heat stroke-based killing, what kind of pushback have you received from AVMA? Well, over 1,600 veterinarians have signed on to our petition, Veterinarians Against Ventilation Shutdown. We submitted two resolutions to the AVMA House of Delegates asking them to reclassify this as not recommended. And by just doing that, reclassifying it as not recommended doesn't mean that this couldn't be used to kill animals. It just means that producers under current systems would not get taxpayer bailout money for when their birds were killed this way. And to give an example of how much money that is, Jenny O Turkey Store got $89 million in taxpayer bailout. Tyson Foods got $29 million. Meanwhile, Jenny O's um, CEO made the, the CEO of Hormel, who owns Jenny O, made like over $6 million. And the CEO of Tyson made over $13 million. So we're just basically paying for their salaries. Because that's um, com- but- coming from tax dollars. Yeah, some tax dollars. And so whether, if you're vegan or if you don't, if you eat these animals or if you don't eat those animals, you're still paying for these CEOs' salaries um, through these these bailout payments that they're getting. But um, we submitted two resolutions to the AVMA House of Delegates. Um, The first one, they pushed it to the, the panel on depopulation to reconsider. The the director of the Animal Welfare Division said it's foolish to open the document in such a short period of time. They drag their heels. They're working on the, the humane slaughter guidelines. It's been three years now, and they still haven't released new guidelines. I think the Camel and population is disgusting, but no draft has been received yet three years later. And millions and millions of birds killed using this cruel method. I have been banned from attending, me and Danielle both, we we were barred from attending the AVMA's Humane Ending Symposium along with several other veterinarians who... And we were followed by the security guy. What was that? We went to another convention. Yeah, you can talk about the AVMA convention, Danielle, and your experience. We were at a convention together and we were literally followed by the security guy and Crystal kind of like figured it out. And I, I was trying to prove her wrong. And I actually went to ask him, hey, are you following up? And he actually said yes. And we were like, my stomach dropped to the floor. Like, how can these two little women be such a threat that, that we're being, you know, we're being followed by a security guy? And, this and then was- we were... An American Veterinary Medical Association conference, AVMA. Conference. But it was was put on by AVMA. AVMA, yes. Yep. Yep. And uh, we were uninvited from a humane symposium, which we will discuss euthanasia and depopulation matters, and they did not want us there. Exactly, because you are a threat to education, to educating the public about this horrific 
mass killing that is happening all over the country. Uh, I want to quickly read this. Uh, this was by uh, the Abma's uh, previous president. The veteran, the veteran, I'm sorry, the veterinarian's oath includes the promise to protect animal health and welfare, prevent and relieve animal suffering. It's a noble profession that demands a selfless commitment to serving the needs of animals. That was a former AVMA president, uh, Tom Myers, quote. So AVMA, the American Veterinary Medical Association, will say all the right things to say that Mm -hmm. we are a noble profession and we have the highest commitment to prevent animal suffering while they literally promote animal torture. Uh, And that is something... uh, the AVMA endorses uh, another quote. The AVMA, AVMA endorses the American Association of Equine Pr- Practitioners policy on the use of horses in urban environments. So the AAEP re- recognizes the unique issues of horses working in an urban environment, such as tourist carriages. So they support horse carriages. And when we were working on our campaign in Chicago to ban the horse carriages, the AVMA spoke out uh, and I believe sent a veterinarian to testify before Chicago City Council against our humane issue. So don't be fooled by this organization. They are they have a lot of money and they really are not on the side of animals. They are on the side of industry and money. Yes. Yeah, it's disturbing how these organizations have stopped animal protection legislation um, like declaw bans. Yep. The the American Association of Swine Practitioners wrote an amicus brief to the Supreme Court um, about Prop 12 supporting the use of gestation crates. Um, we uh, and a group of organizations, we, we gathered together uh, people and helped draft an amicus brief supporting Prop 12 and opposing gestation crates. Um, and that ended up being signed by nearly 400 veterinarians and animal welfare scientists. So there's a lot more veterinarians um, who do support animal protection legislation, then there are the small number of veterinarians who are in positions of power who are protecting these powerful, wealthy industries who get tens of millions of taxpayer bailout money to hurt animals. So we are on the right side of the history, and I think by organizing all of the veterinarians to support these sorts of bills, um, change will happen really, really rapidly. I hope you're right. And uh, again, if you don't know what a gestation crate is, uh, it's it's a extreme form of torture. I know I've said the word torture numerous times in this uh, interview, but that's really what it is. If you're confining an animal to a cage where they cannot even turn around, and that's their entire life until they're slaughtered, that is pure torture. Yeah. And that is yeah. how big agriculture runs. They want they need to confine as many animals as they can in as small a space as possible. And that they give the animals as small as a small a space as possible. So uh when you've got a veterinary organization claiming to care about the welfare of animals, uh yet they support that, they support horse carriage rides, they support declawing, they support rodeos. And the language is such that like with the horse carriages, they say they support the American Association of Equine Practitioners Policy. So they're basically riding the coattails of another organization saying, well, if they support it, then Mm -hmm. we support them. You know, with rodeos, they say, well, we support the, as long as the laws are enforced in rodeos, we support it. But they aren't. That's the case is all these, all these industries that exploit um, animals, whether it's horse car- horse-drawn carriage rides, rodeos, animal circuses, the laws on the books are never enforced. We know this. So for, for ALMA to say, well, we, as long as the rodeo uh, participants are following the guidelines on the books, then we're okay. But they know darn well that the laws are not enforced and never are. Rodeo is all about uh, harming animals. There's nothing humane about it. Yeah, and I, I yes. used to kind of participate in rodeos. I 
Uh, used to go to rodeos. I tried out for Grand National Rodeo Queen, and now I'm speaking out against rodeos because it, it's just plain bad horsemanship. It's bad animal stewardship. When you're irritating an animal, causing them discomfort purely for entertainment purposes, that is not good animal husbandry. It's not good animal stewardship. Even if you don't even come at it from an animal rights perspective, even if you're just somebody who believes that we can raise animals for food, um, which I don't eat animals. Um, and I think that there's going to be an end to slaughter-based food system in within our lifetime. But that the idea that we can cause an animal discomfort for entertainment is is against even the principles of raising animals for food. And here at this veterinary conference that I'm at, I'm excited to attend the talk called Bovine Sports Medicine, Management of Horn Injuries and Infections, um, Bovine Sports Medicine, Common Injuries and Bucking Bowls, and the Sedation and Anesthesia in the Field. All sorts of things like this um, where you learn about Oh, here's another one. Common injuries in bucking bulls. Yeah, that, it's it's just there like, should be wow. no bucking These animals bulls. are injured. Yep. Um, I mean the the topic should be how to end rodeos. There should be no bucking bulls. Period. Yeah, the welfare concerns of rodeos should be that talk. Be for our entertainment. And a lot of these animals are domesticated animals. The only reason they're bucking out of this tiny chute uh, is because they're being hit with electric prods. They're having their tail uh, pulled and, pulled, and uh, they're getting kicked. And they're having their tails raked along the uh, back and forth along the sides of the fence. Like that? Yeah. You know, you're putting something that causes discomfort across their flank to make them buck. Um, and these are not athletic animals. They have small lungs. They're meant to, you know, consume grass, large quantities of grass. Um, they're not like horses where their chest is, you know, large and they have these huge lungs so that they can run. They're not meant to run across the plains. They're not meant to to go in an arena and buck around, right. um, mm-hmm. even if it's just for eight seconds, supposedly. S- so I know that we had talked a little bit about uh, what happens in veterinary school. Daniela, can you tell us a little bit about your uh, wildlife conservation master's degree that you earned in Australia and uh, why you chose to go into the veterinary field? Uh, I know you had mentioned bullying. Yeah, thanks for asking. Well, as Crystal and many, many vets that you meet, um, I had this special love for animals, respect. I always had dogs and cats. I was a city girl. And I told my parents I wanted to be a vet since I was like five years old because it was my dream to help animals with my, like my very hands. And that was my dream. They sent me to vet school. First, I went to the state of Puebla and then I switched to Veracruz, Universidad Veracruzana. And I did horrible, horrible, horrible things to animals. Like, I cannot tell you. I declined doing some stuff, but I was threatened that I would not, uh, that I will fail the class. And I just wanted to get a, an honor mention because I knew I wanted to get on a scholarship somewhere in the world. Uh, so uh, long story short, veterinary school was a nightmare. I was seen as an alien. Most of my classmates were uh, uh, kids from farmers, and that school in Veracruz was created for um, food animals. So I was, I wanted to do zoo animal, zoo uh, medicine. And after veterinary school, I did a one-year internship in a zoo in Mexico. And no matter what zoo you go, like the best zoo, they are going to have the same issues and it all comes to being enclosed in a little cage that is unnatural, the deficient diet, fight, injuries, etc. 
and I just got a really bad taste of mouth and I figure I just cannot do this. I cannot do this. You know, like you said, I love animals and I just cannot contribute to having animals enclosed in a little cage for the rest of their life. Even even though it's so cool, you know, to like be able to suture a coyote or like an alligator or like all these cool animals, which I think a lot of vets are attracted to these field because it's so uh, like it's such an elite group that can only touch these animals. And I realized I just did not want to be part of this. And I decided to go on a different field and sustainable development and environmental sciences. So I applied and I won a full scholarship from my government in Australia um, in wildlife conservation. And that's actually where I learned about the factory farming uh, damages in our planet, and I was actually given a presentation doing a, a class in a philosophy, um, like environmental philosophy, and I was talking about animal rights on the case of dairy cow, and my professor called me hypocrite because I wasn't vegan then, and I knew I had to be vegan right there, and that's when I decided, and that was 13 years ago. Um it was a horrible experience in Mexico, and I agree that we don't have to do it. And I just kept telling myself that that was a sacrifice and that I was going to um, help more animals at the end, which I do. But if, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that I'm here in the U.S. and that uh, so many students here don't have to do these horrible things. But unfortunately, this is still happening in Mexico and I'm sure in many other countries with vet schools um, doing horrible things to animals to learn. So I hope, um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't, I guess I'm not as optimistic and positive as Crystal. I do suffer a lot of depression from the things that I did in vet school. Um, like I honestly have still like nightmares about these black dogs that we kill in anatomy class. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, you know, and it's still as a veterinarian, I feel like it's hard. Like the relationship that we have with animals is, is we don't go and play and pet like animals where I'm like poking them and then taking the organs out and next and next. And it's just not as cute as you will think, but it's, it just needs to be done, you know? Uh, and we deal with so many moral issues like euthanasia that are not, that are convenient um, breathing of animals when there's so many animals at the shelter that we euthanize because of lack of space. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, rodeo, I just went to witness at the LA City Hall about rodeo and I spoke about being in rodeos in Mexico and uh, to me it's just like a normal progression to be to go vegan as a veterinarian because you're just being in alignment with your true self and like we sacrifice so many things in our lives as veterinarians are, you know, years of our lives, hours, money, loans, etc., to help these animals with our own hands. So I just don't understand how veterinarians will even bully us because we, we believe we are just in alignment with what we're saying that we do, that we love. Um, yeah. It's just kind of odd for uh, to go to a veterinarian to ask them to you know care for your cat or dog or rabbit. Exactly, and, the, and you know, and then the veterinarian. We even had, oh, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, we even had veterinarians at the conference, right, Crystal? Telling us so there was these videos of the of the the ventilation shutdown that an animal rights group uh, film undercover of the pigs being suffocated to death. Just the same way that you will feel about a dog being trapped in a car Mm -hmm. and, you know, what a mess we do about it. It's what we've been doing to like millions of pigs, right? So we had these videos or recordings and we had veterinarians coming to us and telling us that 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 video was fake or like staged and they didn't think it was real. So I guess to me, I really wanted to come here and, and just to hopefully have people that believe the same things that we believe tell their veterinarians about the the horrible things that the AVMA is allowing Mm -hmm. and how these things are happening because we are letting them do it. If we're part of the AVMA, 
we've been members like over 10 years, Crystal and I both. Mm-hmm. Um, and they still kicked us out from like a conference that we already paid. Um, it's all about they, desensitizing. It's they're trying to just in, in vet school. They try to desensitize students yeah. to let to so they will do these terminal labs on dogs or or kill pigs or goats or, or what have you. So it's uh, it's really important to know that uh, these things are not. They shouldn't be allowed. Uh, veterinarians should not have to kill animals to learn how to help them. So what can uh, people, other than obviously going vegan, do to help stop these massive bailouts for big ag executives? And, and how can they make positive change re- regarding, uh, you know, to help stop some of these cruel things happening in vet schools? We're running out of time, so <laughs> any quick oh, thoughts well, on that? A veterinarian or just someone who loves animals, um, go to ourhonor.org and sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date. Follow us on social media at Our Honor Vets. We're on Twitter, um, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, um, and learn more. We're going to probably start a big campaign raising more awareness about the bailouts. Um, Write your members of Congress and let them know that you do not support your tax dollars going to bail out these companies that are causing the avian influenza outbreak and creating conditions that lead to animals having to be killed using the cruelest methods. Um, talk to your veterinarians about their own experience in veterinary school. And a lot of people are turned off from going to veterinary school because of the cool things you have to do. And I'd encourage you, if you still want to go to vet school, go to vet school. It's a great career. And go and change the curriculum. Advocate for a change in the curriculum. We are going to be changing the curriculum, and we can support those who are who are doing that and, and fighting for the best interests of others, no matter their species. Well, that is, yes. that sounds great, and I can't thank you both uh, for your the work you're doing uh, with our honor and and just being such outspoken at veterinarians and advocates for animals. So, thank you for coming on today. Uh, definitely check out our honor for more information on how you can help end uh, the cruelty in in the veterinary industry. So. Uh, I will end with this quote uh, real quickly, too. I want to thank you both for endorsing my uh, campaigns to ban horse carriages. Uh, Daniela has uh, helped and signed many endorsement pledges, which I greatly appreciate. Uh, so thanks again, ladies. And uh, I will thank en- you. I will end with this quote. Never believe that animals suffer less than humans. Pain is the same for them that it is for us. Even worse, they cannot help themselves by Louis J. Camuti. So this is Jody Whitaker of the Chicago Alliance for Animals and the Partnership to Ban Horse Carriages Worldwide. Please visit ChicagoAllianceForAnimals.org or look us up on Facebook and reach out to help us with our very active campaigns to free spur, free Rocky, and ban horse carriages worldwide. <laughs>